Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Apologetics, Part 2. What is truth? In order to establish any of the claims of Christianity, we must first make a case for truth itself. How can you hope to provide reasons for God's existence or Christ's resurrection if the person you're talking to claims, that's just your truth, and I'm glad it works for you, but it's not true for me. Learn how to use the law of non-contradiction to help explain what an objective truth claim is. Although many prefer the mushy relativism of our age, in the end, as Christians, we are stuck with Christ, who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. So it's important to be able to talk about truth and to establish that there is such a thing as objective truth. In other words, a truth that is true no matter who is talking about it or looking at it or reasoning about it. If you would like to take this class for credit, please contact the Atlanta Bible College so you can register and do the necessary work for a grade. Here now is Apologetics Part 2, What is Truth? The goal in speaking to a non-believer is that they would be able to hear the gospel, okay? But the gospel rests on other foundations underneath it, okay? So what's under the gospel? Resurrection, right? So if Jesus is not raised from the dead, you're not going to be able to believe in the idea of resurrection, which is part of the gospel message, okay? That he's the Christ because God raised him from the dead. And then underneath that's what? Revelation. Yeah, revelation and then theism, worldviews, and truth. So truth is the base of the triangle. If you don't have a belief in such a thing as truth, you you're never going to get as far as to the gospel, at least not using apologetics. I mean, you, you actually could get somebody to the gospel without a belief in absolute truth. So maybe I would disagree with the Chadmeister there, because uh, there are other ways of going about it. But this is apologetics, and we're going to go ahead and establish truth. This is a definition of pluralism. Pluralism is a state of society in which members of diverse ethnic, racial, religious, or social groups maintain and develop their traditional culture or special interests within the confines of a common civilization. If you have all the uh, Baptists form their own community and they don't ever leave their community, and then you have Catholics form their own community and they never leave, right? And uh, then you have, what's another religious group in America? Pentecostals, yeah, they're like way bigger than everybody these days. Anyhow, Pentecostals in their, in their own limited confines, right? You don't have pluralism. You have pluralism when these people work together, when they go to school together, right? And so people have, they're, they're retaining their distinct beliefs, but they're associating in a common civilization with other people with other beliefs that contradict them, okay? This is not in the history of the world this is not all that common. <laughs> it's, it's something that really flourishes in America, but in a lot of places, it doesn't. And it, down here, it, it doesn't, it, you know, there's more homogeneity down here than there is 
other parts of the country that have more hostile, you know, viewpoints towards Christianity, you know, like Ohio. You know, you have crazy people there. No, not Ohio. No, no, Ohio's the promised land. The heart, really the heart of America. There it is. Yeah, okay. So, uh, but in Minnesota, those cold northerners, you know, they have those Lutherans up there and uh, there are Catholics up there and there are bears and they don't believe, so. Missouri's the best, huh? Yeah. All right, well, we don't need to compete for what state is the best, but we do have to figure out how it is we deal with people of other faiths in our culture, right? And that's what pluralism is dealing with. Um, and so there is a, uh, uh, a position that people have that says, the best way to figure out doing society with Christians and Muslims and atheists and Buddhists and people from Ohio is to... <laughs> is, is to, to basically have everyone agree that all paths are equally valid, okay? Uh, if you're a Muslim, I'm sure you're going to be fine in the end. If you're, if you're a Baptist, you're going to be okay. If you're a Catholic, you're going to be all right. All paths lead to God, lead to salvation. You know, it's like a big mountain, and you're taking, you know, the Baptist is taking a trail, and it's like very steep. But the Buddhist is kind of just like winding around the mountain at a slow, gradual pace. And they're, they're going to get there. They're not going to break a sweat, but they're going to get there to the top eventually, right? And they'll take a lot of breaks and meditate on the way. Um, but they're, they're going, everybody's going to the same place. It's all going to be fine, right? That's the standard secular view of pluralism, or, or I don't know if you want to call it secular, but it's, what's that? Right. Atheists are like, I don't see any mountain. What mountain? <laughs> Why are they all climbing? <laughs> uh, so Christianity presents a real challenge to this mindset of pluralism because Christianity teaches that Jesus is the only way. You know, and we're, and we're basically stuck with that because there's a verse where Jesus says that. <laughs> you know? So like, it's hard to get rid of that. But that, that verse, I'm going to come back to this at the end, is John... 14.6, where Jesus says, uh, I call this exclusivism. It's the idea that believing in Jesus is exclusive. If you, and if you believe in him, then everything else is wrong. Okay, uh, If Jesus is wrong, other things might be right. But if he's right, everyone else is wrong. Because Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14.6. And if Jesus, so Jesus could be wrong there, but if he's right, everyone else has to go through him, right? Because he says no one comes to the Father except through him. So this is, a real, this is a real interesting question that we have to wrestle with in our society, right? I mean, if we were back in the, the Middle Ages, everyone was Catholic, right? So like in our society, people wrestle with this question, whereas in other societies, people don't wrestle with this question, okay? But it's a good question to think about. Uh, or some people would say, well, all, all non-Christians are going to hell or... Isn't it intolerant and bigoted to say we only have the right way to God? People are, are raising these objections all the time. And so people will typically say you just all need to get along. You have to realize that all religions teach basically the same thing. Okay? That sounds nice. It does sound nice. But it's not, it's not true. That's the only problem with it is that it's not true. Take, this, is, this is a good example to take. Take the crucifixion of Jesus. Right? 
What do Jews believe about the crucifixion of Jesus? What do Jew, modern Jews today believe about the crucifixion of Jesus? No, they believe it happened. What were you going to say? Yeah, he's dead. Like the meaning of the crucifixion. He's a heretic. Okay. Or it's so sad. <laughs> Either Jesus is a false prophet and he got what he deserved and they crucified him because he claimed to be the Messiah and obviously he wasn't the Messiah because they killed him. Or it's so sad. He was a nice guy and, they, and they, those darn Romans, you know, they killed him. And, but it didn't do anything for anyone. Did the Muslims really happen? Never happened. They weren't even around. Never mind that Islam came 630 years later. But their book teaches that the crucifixion never happened. In fact, a Muslim will spell crucifixion like this. Isn't that clever? <laughs> and so Muslims teach that God would never let his prophet go through something like that. God would never allow his prophet to suffer in that way in such an undignified manner. And they teach that um, either they crucified the wrong person or they crucified Judas and, the, and God made it look like it was Jesus or somebody else and God made it look like it was Jesus, but it really wasn't Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven just like Muhammad. Or Christianity. What does Christianity teach about the crucifixion? It's the uh, basis for dealing with sin, right? You know, the, the technical term for it is atonement, and there are different, many different Christians have different atonement theories, okay? But everyone agrees that somehow or other what Jesus did there dealt with sin. You know, it brought forgiveness of sin, we could say, right? And so... Hold on a second. These are three major world religions. These are, not, these are not small. There's over a billion of these people. There's over two billion of these right here. right? And there are millions of Jews. I think about 14 or 15 million Jews. You know, So, I mean, we're talking about huge masses of people. There's no way to make these three things the same. Like, if Jesus was never crucified, it can't, his crucifixion can't be the basis for dealing with sins. And if he was a heretic, it, he can't have never died. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they can't all be right. There's no way for them all to be right. They could all be wrong, <laughs> but they can't all be right. And so when people try to flatten out all the different religions and say, oh, they're all just different aspects of the same truth, what they're really saying is they don't care what the religions themselves teach. They're just going to squish them into what they want them to be and re re reformat them to fit into their overall theory. So the, relig the religions of this world are not compatible with each other. That's why they all exist. You know, they would all merge if they were compatible with each other. All right, so I want to talk to you about modernism, postmodernism, objective truth, subjective truth, and relativism before we get into the law of non-contradiction and our next quiz. Okay? So first up, modernism and postmodernism. Has anybody ever heard of this term? 
Okay, and what is it? <laughs> Everybody thought that the, everything was logical and had an explanation. Uh -huh. Everything had there's definite proof. Everything could be explained through reason, and reason was involved. This is kind of like a, a slogan you might hear a modernist say, science can solve all our problems. Eventually we'll come up with scientific explanations for everything, and then it won't matter what your opinion or his opinion or her opinion is, we'll just objectively be able to figure it all out. That's uh, modernism. It was uh, popular in the world for a long time. There are plenty of people that still believe this to this day. Uh, reason will eventually give us all the answers. Reason was king and faith is taking a back seat. Humans working together on a unified project is modernism. Postmodernism is a totally different uh, mindset. It's saying, you know, that whole modernism thing, that's totally wrong. In fact, there's no certainty. And the, and the, and the problem is you keep trying to develop some objective reality. There is no objective reality. All there is is you and what you know about yourself and how you interpret the world around you, right? So here we have, we could call it subject, subjective uh, supremacy. Ooh, that sounded good. Subjective, subjective means the person themselves, you yourself, as opposed to objective. Objective is something that's true, doesn't matter who is talking about it, right? Sorry, but so that postmodernism is saying, is it saying that it's the only thing that's the objective truth? That is <laughs> yes, it is. Wait, everything yeah, is okay. The sky can be green if you want it to be. What were you going to say? It's like the uh, saying, you do you. Yeah. It's like everything you do is all right because you're doing it. In case you hadn't realized, it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about or believe strongly in what you're, like, saying? <laughs> Invisible question marks and parenthetical you knows and you know what I'm saying have been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences, even when those sentences aren't, like, questions. <laughs> Declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, like, you know, declare things to be true, okay, as opposed to other things that are, like, totally, you know, not. <laughs> They've been infected by this tragically cool and totally hip interrogative tone. As if I'm saying, don't think I'm a nerd just because I've like noticed this, okay? I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions. I'm just like inviting you to join me on the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. <laughs> What has happened to our conviction? Where are the limbs out on which we once walked? Have they been like chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? You know? Or do we have like nothing to say? Has society just become so filled with these conflicting feelings of yeah? that we've just gotten to the point where we're the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, you know, a long time ago.
So I implore you, I entreat you, and I challenge you to speak with conviction. To say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it is not enough these days to simply question authority. You gotta speak with it, too. Alright, so that's a little poem that Taylor Molly wrote. What's his point in this video here? What do you think? People aren't confident in what they say. Yeah, you think that's true? People don't want to offend I don't know. everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are so worried about offending everyone else that nobody says what they really think in a way that tips their hands of what they actually believe. Because they're so worried about the backlash of what if, what if they don't agree with me, right? And so that's, that's a result of this postmodernism, and it's just so much fun to make fun of. So I couldn't resist showing you that video. So postmodernism is the idea that all truth claims are suspect and that reality is out there, but is constructed based on your own experience. So there's good reason to doubt any fact that people believe in. So that's, that's a movement in our world today. There are modernists still. There are postmodernists, there are pre-modernists as well. And it's not like they all just die out when some other trend comes in. You know, people still hold on to their, their viewpoint. There are two kinds of truth here that I've been kind of bandying about. Objective truth and subjective truth. An objective truth, I'll, I'll define this based on an example, is one moon orbits the earth okay and then an example of a subjective truth is peanut butter cup ice cream is the best okay well you you need to get that note corrected so you pass this class <laughs> no I'm just kidding <laughs> so objective truth is something that is true no matter who says it, where they're standing, what their background is, right? There's one Sean Finnegan in the front of the room talking to you right now. That's not narrow. That's just the fact, okay? Uh, it's not me being narrow-minded or bigoted to say there's only one moon orbiting the Earth. It's just the way it is. It's, 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 there's no, it doesn't matter if Talon observes it or Albert Einstein, you know, it, it is a fact doesn't matter what your beliefs are about it. Uh, and then a subjective truth is a truth that's true for me, but might not be true for you, right? Like, uh, I'm married to Ruth Finnegan. Josiah can't say that. Yes. But it is true for me, but it's not true for him, right? So subjective truth, and, and there's nothing wrong with subjective truths. They're just different than objective truths. And the problem is, when you develop a world view that is all based on only one of these things, or one that's based on the other of these things, right? The simple fact is, there are both. You know, there are some things that are true for you that are not true for me, right? And uh, some things that are true with or without us doesn't matter who is in the room, okay? And those are objective truths. Relativism is this idea that goes along with postmodernism and subjective truth. Relativism 
is the idea that there is no objective truth. So that means that everything is relative, right? What is true depends on who you are in relativism, okay? Now, uh, I think Brooke pointed this out, that the problem with this, this view is that there is no objective truth, is that that's an objective truth. <laughs> and if there is no objective truth, then the statement there is no objective truth can't be true. So that means there is objective truth. So this, the statement itself is self-defeating. It can't, it can't possibly be right. It's like a square circle. I mean, it just doesn't, there's no way. Sorry. Relativism the same thing as postmodernism? Postmodernism is a much bigger cultural phenomenon. It embraces relativism as part of it, okay? But they're not exactly the same thing, no. In the uh, Chad Meister book, he explains all this in much greater detail than I'm doing with you. I just want to, you to be aware of these different terms so that when you're talking to people, you'd be like, oh, that was a subjective claim. They'll be like, that was a what? Be like, yeah, like peanut butter ice cream. They're like, what? They're like, no, that's something that's true for you, but it's not true for me. I'm talking about objective claims, things that are true no matter what, like one moon orbiting the earth. And it helps people to think about truth because when we get to the subject of religion, people are going to say, oh, Christianity is good for you, but Buddhism is good for me. Right? And so they're saying that religion reduces to subjective truth claims and there's nothing objective about it at all. But what's the problem with that? Christianity is rooted in history. So either, Jesus, either God raised Jesus from the dead or he didn't. It has nothing to do with how many people believe in him. It's not like Santa Claus and like if enough people believe in him, then he'll appear. You know what I mean? That's not Christianity, at least not historically. I was taught that truth is always true. And um, truth, truth can change the facts, but the facts cannot change the truth. For example, I'm a male, that, that is true, but I'm, I'm 42, those are the facts that will change next year or whatever. Oh, okay, because that would be continually changing. Yeah. Cool. All right, so let's, let's whip out the book and go to page 26, the Building Belief book. Did I tell you I love that book? All right, so this right here, let me just explain this before we get into page 26. This is a formula. It's a logic formula. Logic is a whole field. I've taken a logic class before. But A, a can mean anything, right? Give me an example of a proposition that could be true or not, whatever you want it to be. The sky is blue. Okay, so the sky is blue. So if A is the sky is blue, so we're calling sky is blue, we're calling that A, and we're calling sky is not blue, not a, that says not A there, right? So this right here, this principle expressed by this equation is the law of non-contradiction. So the law of non-contradiction says that some, something can't be the opposite, right? It's like totally logical and you all already believe it anyhow. But this is just expressing it in letters so that you can talk about it more, more abstractly, I guess, right? Well, it seems completely obvious based on our experience and everything we know, but that's actually what a lot of times people are going to attack in uh, relativism is to say, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's for you, but not for me. And if it's an objective thing, then it's got nothing to do with you and me. So let's go ahead and take a look at Chad's explanation to this because it is a little complicated and I feel like he does such a good job explaining it. So let's get started on uh, page 26 here. Whose turn to read is it? I think 
Jamie, could you read for us one paragraph? I was recently in a local coffee shop and overheard a conversation between two college students. One was a Christian and the other was a Zen Buddhist. Oh. The Christian was sharing the good news with the Buddhist, and the Buddhist responded by asking why Christians are always saying that their view is right while everyone else's is wrong. Why can't we just all be right, he said. Why do, we, why do you have to tell me I'm wrong? And the Christian struggled in a bit with the response. Um, struggled a bit with the response. And I asked if I could join in the conversation. They both agreed. So I took a napkin and began to draw out the little the, the law of non-contradiction. And then I drew a box around it as in the diagram below. All right. So he's, he's talking to this person. They're like, why can't we all just be right? And he's like, well, let me show you. A is not equal to not A. Sierra, could you read the next paragraph there? I asked the Buddhist if he had ever heard of this law, and he nodded that he had. So I explained that given, given this law, if Christianity were true, if it were the case that Jesus offered the only way of salvation, as he claims in John 26, then it could not be true, and there are other ways of salvation. He disagreed. He said that Christianity could be true to me, and then Buddhism could be true to him. So I said, in other words, you believe the following. A equals not A. Jesse, could you carry on? Yeah. Yes, he said. <coughs> it can be the case that Christianity is true for you, and not Christianity, Buddhism, that is, is true for me. But that this is impossible, I put. This violates the inevitable law of non-contradiction. I don't believe in this law, he said. It's simply false. At this point, I suggested we call his view the law of relativism, and I placed it directly above the law of non-contradiction as shown shown below. So you have A equals not A is the law of relativism, and A is not equal to not A is the law of non-contradiction. Denise. Well, he's going to explain it. He's going to... I then asked him if he was saying that the law of relativism was true while the law of non-contradiction was false. Yes, he said, the law of non-contradiction is clearly false. I then suggested that for the sake of argument, we call the law of relativism A. And since the law of non-contradiction is clearly not the law of relativism, we call the law of non-contradiction not A. So then we have the following. So you have the law of relativism he is defining as A, and the law of contradiction he's redefining as not A. You're up. No, the problem, of course, is that he was saying that A is the case, not not A. But this <laughs> is the law of non-contradiction. A does not equal not A. In other words, he was using the law of non-contradiction in an attempt to refute the law of non-contradiction. So I drew his contradictory position on the napkin. <laughs> All right, so basically he draws a box around A and not A and puts a not equal sign between them. Alex, could you do the last paragraph there? This is what philosophers call a self-stultifying claim. It's similar. Uh, I would call it that in the the modern parlance. Uh, uh, what do you call that when you hit yourself in the forehead? Face palm. Face palm. Yeah. Thank you. It's similar to the claim. I cannot write a word of English. What? Okay. Of course, I just did write a word <laughs> in English. So I refuted my own claim. It is impossible to deny the law of non-contradiction, since in the denial one is claiming that something is the case as opposed to it not being the case. 
That is to say, one is claiming that something is the case, A, rather than it's not being the case. It's not equal, not A. Okay, one is thus using the law of non-contradiction and intent to deny the law of non-contradiction. Once this undeniable fact sinks in, the proverbial light bulb flashes on and one sees that it is literally impossible to deny this law. It is an internal truth that one simply cannot be All right, so... That's Chad Meister on the law of non-contradiction. So I guess the question really is, is Christianity an objective truth or is it a subjective truth? Is Christianity like the idea that there's one moon going around the earth or is it like the idea that peanut butter cup ice cream is the best? Why, why do you think? Because why do you think some people think it's subjective? It depends on your beliefs. Some people don't believe in God at all. And others mm -hmm. do. So I guess it depends on mm -hmm. It's true that different people believe in Christianity or don't believe in Christianity and believe in different things. <clears throat> but Christianity itself is, is really based on what differentiates Christianity from Judaism ultimately is this whole matter about Jesus and the the Christians are the ones saying Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the Jews are like no he's not and the Christians are like yes he is and what is the basis from which the Christians make the case that Jesus is the Messiah does anybody remember I'm like yes wow that was really good so the resurrection is not an idea it's not a philosophy, it's not an opinion, it's a historical fact, or it, it's not a historical fact. Either it happened, either God brought a dead man back to life, or he's still dead somewhere, right? And so, Christianity ultimately on, rests on an objective claim, truth claim. And so, either, if, if, if you can show that the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, Christianity falls. And if you can show that it did happen, all the other religions better pay attention because Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is not a weak claim. It's a strong claim to historical facts and exclusivism, which is to say that God has definitively worked and acted in Jesus, and we all better pay attention to that. Now, have any of you ever heard of the blind man and the elephant analogy? Okay. Does he talk about it in the book? Okay, okay. So what's... Oh, you haven't heard it? Okay. All right, somebody explain the, the blind man and the elephant for Alex. She hasn't heard it. So if a bunch of people that are, I guess, blind or blindfolded or whatever touch an elephant's tail or touch an elephant, they're going to each... Are they talking about the trunk? They grab a different part, right? Yeah, like everyone is going to describe it as something different. That's kind of how you look at it. like a religion or your view of God. Everybody's kind of getting a different view based on the feeling of the elephant. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what all the, what all the yeah. things were. They touch the leg, it feels like it, they describe it like a tree. A tree, or it feels like a ball, it's on the side of the elephant. Uh-huh. Um, right. So you grab one part, you, f you grab one part of the elephant, and you say elephants are like ropes, because you grab the tail. Or elephants are like tree trunks, because you grab the leg, right? Uh, so each one of these blind people is claiming that their partial knowledge of the elephant is the whole of the elephant. 
What are you gonna say? Um, Bill can use that in the debate. Oh yeah. He was talking about how it's co culturally specific to a uh, specific region, mm -hmm. how you were raised, and where you grew up. Yeah. How do you defeat this this analogy that people use to prove all religions are the same, or have part of the truth? Uh, you say that the uh, person who says that has to have an outside view of the entire elephant. Mm -hmm. There it is. There's the secret to the whole thing. So basically what people are saying is, you can't know the whole truth. You only know your little part of the truth. And those Muslims over there, God bless them, they only know their little part of the truth over here, right? But that person who is telling the story is claiming to see the whole elephant. So they're rebuking the Christian, the Muslim, and the, uh, the, the Jewish person, and the Buddhist, and the Mormon. They're like, hey, you all only have little parts. All the while, sitting on their high horse like, I see the whole elephant. Wait a second. How are you not a blind man like the rest of us? Also grabbing one little part, right? And if that's true, then we're all blind. And so what's the point then? There isn't any point anymore of the whole story. I think what you have with that is a really cleverly disguised claim that all of these different things are just part of a greater whole. But like I've showed you with the example of the crucifixion, the religions are not compatible with each other. All right? And to say that they are is to just say that you're a bad listener and that you're not being respectful of what they're actually teaching. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15 is key for this whole subject here. On the resurrection, I just wanted to read a couple of verses. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. What does in vain mean? Worthless. Worthless. Futile. Empty. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is stupid, and your faith is empty, right? It's in vain. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Paul's putting everything on the resurrection of Jesus. If it happened, it changes everything, and if it didn't happen, what are we doing? Let's go do something else, right? And then uh, verse uh, 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Look, if Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. What are we doing? And then verse 20, once again, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul's actually making an argument about something else, but in the, in the process of making that argument, he's saying, look, everything depends on the resurrection of Jesus. If it didn't happen, our faith is dumb. And if it did happen, then he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and he's coming back and there's going to be a kingdom and it's glorious, right? So the resurrection of Jesus is extremely important. And we're going to do two whole lectures on the resurrection of Jesus. And for one of them, I'm going to have Bill Craig deliver the lecture through a video. <laughs> you guys are like, oh, he's coming. No, he's not coming. He lives in California. I have a video of him, and it's, it's pretty good. You already kind of got a gist of it, but this is a little more detailed. And then uh, for the second one, we'll just, be, uh, we'll just be me. But the resurrection of Jesus is so important that I want to give it two full lectures in this uh, apologetics course, because for us, everything rides on that. I mentioned to you before what exclusivism means, but I just want to write it down. It means that there's one right 
way. Just like Jesus said, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. And in fact, this idea is bound up with these statements that Jesus makes over and over in the Gospel of John. Talon's turn. Can you read the screen, please? John 6, 48 to 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says that he's the living bread, and that if you eat of this bread, you will live forever. That is a huge claim. That's a huge statement. Have any of you ever made that statement? Of course. <laughs> Cal's like, of course, every morning, right, when I brush my teeth. Jesus says he's the bread of life. That's a big statement. Again, John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Either Jesus is a megalomaniac or what he's saying is true. Either he's crazy or he really is the light of the world. These are his famous I am statements. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. <clears throat> if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's such a big statement again. If you enter by him, you'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Josiah, could you read this one? John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life like a sheep. Or the sheep. Yep. I am the good shepherd. Uh, next one, Jacob. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he mm. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. We saw Jesus is the bread of life. He says he's the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life, right? And then here's the most exclusivistic text, John 14, 6. Brooke? John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. That's so huge. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is such a big statement. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Basically, he either did do it or didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to give you good reasons to believe he did it. That's part of what I'm going to be doing in this class. But I guess the, the, the big point here is that if somebody you're talking to doesn't believe in such a thing as truth, it's really hard to get them to believe that Jesus died for their sins. Because they're going to be like, well, I don't really agree with that. Be like, well, he still did, whether you agree with it or not. Be like, well, no, not, actually not. Because that's what you believe, but that's not what I believe. You know, but that's not, that's not really compatible with a gospel presentation, at least in this kind of way of doing it. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and then when we come back... We're going to look at theism, atheism, and pantheism and compare these three and contrast these three worldviews so that you can see how, and, the, and you can fit every religion in the whole world into one of these three categories. So it's a really easy way of slicing and dicing up all the world's religions and to see them uh, side by side.
If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.